Well, hey, welcome to the finale of our Bless series. And I just want to say a special welcome to everybody tuning in online with us. And, you know, we mentioned this before, but this entire series, Bless, has been based off of this book right here by Dave and John Ferguson. And um, even today, man, there's some great content um, from Ian Simkins. And so, hey, we're just so grateful for what God is doing up at uh, Community Christian Church in Chicago, where these guys are serving and so many other people. And so just grateful for the, for the resource to help equip our people here at Northeast. But, um, you know, another thing that we are all equipped with is uh, ways to communicate. And maybe the most obvious way to communicate is words, right? Whether they're spoken or sung or, uh, or, or they're written, maybe in a letter or an email or a text, but there's all kinds of ways to communicate. Um, but there's also nonverbal communication. Like there's communication that does not require words, but it still is just, if not sometimes more powerful at getting a point across. And, and, and you know, I want to give you just kind of a quick, uh, like crash course in nonverbal communication, starring my youngest son, Beckett. And let me just say, so here's a picture of Beckett and he, he's super, super cute. I'm so glad he takes after his mama in that way. But um, I, I would use my older two kids, but they like get too embarrassed at this age. So we're gonna use Beckett because he's still cool with it. But let me just show you a few pictures of Beckett and, and just what it communicates um, through these pictures. So here's, a, here's the first one. This is Beckett. This is like the, the achieved look, okay? He is so proud. He's helping us build a bridge at my parents' lake in Georgia. This is him being proud. Let's see the next one. And this is Beckett like just, just vibing to some music. He's just like relaxed chilling out. This is him just kind of in his zone. And then I love this next one. This is Beckett and our potty training P-Rex dinosaur. And this is a face that's like, I got to go, right? This is a face of terror. Paris, if you've seen this face, you know you don't have much time. And then this next one, and this is Beckett uh, right after a T-ball game. And this is him just like living his best life, right? The sun's shining, his face is covered in, in stickiness. And, and I believe that his motto is that if it's sticky, I ain't picky. Because that's kind of how he lives his life, man. He's living it up. Um, here's another one. This is a confused look for Beckett. Kind of like I've got a con, like I'm, I'm contemplating a very complicated order, right? And he's trying to figure out what is going on. And just a couple more. This one here. It's like the, uh, hey, dad, I, uh, funny thing, but, and, and I'm just hoping that we're not having the same conversation and reenacting the same picture when he's 16, right? And then uh, just, man, here's Beckett in um, <laughs> a chewy mask, okay? And so you can kind of see what that uh, communicates. And then finally, this is maybe my favorite. Here's Beckett's face of wonder. I, I love that. That's him just kind of looking at a caterpillar and just dreaming about what things could be. But th those are all examples of nonverbal communication from a child. And, and we know that it, the actions are so, so important. It's kind of like this quote, maybe you've heard it before, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Okay, I don't know who said that, but I like it. I like it because it's getting at the heart of, of this idea that actions matter, that like we, we want to live out the life that Jesus has called us to. But, but the reality is that, that if we are going to, to not only hope that people are introduced to God, but we're going to help people become introduced to God, at some point, we're going to have to use words. 
Words do matter. And really that's what today's blessed practice is all about as we wrap up this series. So quick recap, we've, we've talked about these different blessed practices that can kind of help us live out um, our call that Jesus has commanded us to do to impact the world. And so we say that we wanna begin with prayer. We wanna begin with prayer, praying for the people in the circles that God has intentionally and strategically placed us in. We wanna pray for those people and we wanna listen to them, to intentionally listen to them, to hear their struggles and their stories. And then we wanna carve out time to eat together. And that's a very disarming way to build a relationship. And so maybe it's, it's identifying one or two meals a week that you're intentional to eat with specific people. And then last week, talked about serving, that, that once you, you eat together, you, you're able to hear their story, you're able to identify opportunities for you to stand in the gap and to serve those people. And then finally today, story. Story that, that, that once this, this relationship is kind of cultivated to this point, you, you've built this bridge of trust that can support your story. And we wanna talk about what that looks like to, to be able to share, share our story with others. But have you ever left a conversation and felt like, like you didn't say everything you should have? Like you ever felt like you missed an opportunity? Like, oh man, you, you walk away and it's like, like man, I, I totally just missed that opportunity. I totally blew it. And, and like instead of speaking up or even taking, taking the opportunity to share your story, you kind of quivered and, and you quaked and kept quiet. You ever been there? I know that I have. And, and it got me thinking, like when it comes to sharing our faith, specifically sharing our story, like what God is doing personally in and through our lives, like why, why are we sometimes so reluctant to share? And I'm sure that there's as many excuses or maybe some Valerie's, I don't know, as there are people, but, but here are just a few that I've heard. The first is this, that I don't have what it takes. Like, like I'm, I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not some theologian. Like, like I, I don't feel like I have all the right answers. So I might, I might not be ready for some of the questions that I would be asked. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I have all my theological ducks in a row. And so if somebody were to hit me with, you know, like blindside me with a really hard question, I, I feel like I wouldn't know. So I don't feel like I have what it takes. Maybe you felt like that before. And if you do, you can always do what I do. I just give them Monty Wilkinson's email address and let him handle the tough questions. But no, seriously, like sometimes we feel we don't have what it takes and it can prevent us from sharing our story with others. But the truth is that we have something that is way more significant than just playing some theological trump card to dismantle other people. Check out these words from Matthew chapter 10, verse 18 through 20. It says, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. And I love this. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. You see, when we're in these positions, when, we, when we're in these conversations and we feel like we don't have the right words, God is saying, my Holy Spirit will fill in the gap. Trust that. So seize the opportunity. You don't have to be some scholar to just share your story. And I love this because good news always trumps good arguments. Good news trumps 
good arguments. And so, so sharing the good news meant, meant that the resurrection is real, that Jesus, this man named Jesus, he, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was put into a tomb and resurrected after the third day. And because of that, he defeated sin and death once and for all. And he's given us hope. See, see that, that story and how that's impacted you is good news and it's compelling to the people who care about you who are in your circles. And so, you know, another reason that I hear like why maybe we don't share stories is I don't want to impose my beliefs on my friends and family. You ever felt that one? Like, I know I have. In fact, I feel it. It's kind of a weekly, if not a daily tension for me. And, and the reality is, like, I think we're so aware, as Christ followers, especially in today's age, we're so aware of the many poor examples of, of the way that Christians have, have shared their stories in the past or shared their faith or tried to push it on other people. We're so aware of the Christian hypocrisy that have led to some pretty nasty stereotypes. Like, like I always think of the guy who stands outside of the football stadium just like yelling at people and condemning them to hell. And I think like there has to be a better way, right? And there is. There is a better way because authentic sharing is way different. You know, evangelist and theologian D.T. Niles put it this way, that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where you found bread. That's all it is. Like Christianity, following Jesus is just, just somebody who, who's been searching for purpose and hope and value in life and who've, who've experienced that in the name of Jesus to just share that with other people. Like, hey, hey, if you're looking for hope, I know where you can get some. Hey, if you, if you need some purpose, if you need some life, you need forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, man, I, I know the source. And he has a name, his name is Jesus. And, and so it's, it's taking advantage of the opportunities when they arise to simply share how God is working in your life. See, that's the kind of good news that is worth sharing. It's kind of good news that, that is the most compelling evidence to our faith, to the ones around us. Listen to, to the, what, what Paul wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 10. He said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is an amazing truth right here, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he continues he says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And then finally, get this. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So say, listen, like salvation is available. Hope is here. But how are people gonna know if you don't tell them about it? You see, words point people to the bread. And so words matter. And it continues like, like what are another way that people kind of struggle with, like an excuse they have for not sharing their story is this, I doubt God could use my story. Like sometimes we just assume that my story is not exciting enough. Like I wasn't some like Caribbean drug dealer. I wasn't like smuggling stuff out of the back door of my business. Like we think I don't have some crazy story. And so there's no way that God could really use me. Like, like I don't have some big platform to use. And, and, and listen, I want to I, I caution you, don't believe that lie. 
Don't believe you have to have some crazy, elaborate story for God to use. But then on the other hand, like on the other end of the spectrum, I'll hear folks say, like, like well, well, my story's too bad. Like my story's too bad. And if, if other people, especially those closest to me, if they knew some of the things that I've kept secret for so long, if they knew some of my struggles, then they would think so differently of me. Like if they knew about my past, then they surely couldn't stand me being in their presence. And some of us feel that way. But, but I want you to know this, that God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. And he can use your story. You know, I saw this picture. I love it. It, it says this, if you can do all this with a potato, think of all God can do with you, Right? And listen, I want you to know that like you are so much more than a potato, okay? And so God can take your story, he can take your past and your history and your experiences and he can use that to glorify himself and to draw people to Jesus. And I want you to know that you're not too far gone. No matter your story, he can use it. And then finally, this one, I hear this one a lot of why we don't share a story. Is sharing my story makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, yeah, absolutely, because it's a very vulnerable thing, and I get that. I totally get that. Like, like do, do you have any idea like, how many times I've been in a conversation with someone and the dreaded question is finally popped of like, hey, so what do you do for a living? And I'm always like, uh, I'm a, a teacher. Like I'm in counseling, communications, I work with people, like this sort of thing. Because as soon as I say, um, I, I'm a pastor, it oftentimes will just shut down the conversation immediately. And so I just wanna go ahead and give you that nugget. If you're ever on a plane ride and somebody beside you won't stop talking, you can use my occupation to maybe shut the conversation down. That's just kind of how it works. But, 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 a few months ago, here's a great example of this. A few months ago, um, Micah, our worship leader and I, we had to run over to a local mechanic. This guy was recommended to me. He's a great guy, but he's super rough around the edges, okay? So, so I take Micah over there. He's gotta get some work done on his car. And so I run in and I'm talking with the mechanic and I'm kind of telling him what's going on. And he sends Micah out to go get his car and bring it to the garage. And so I start explaining. I'm like, man, he's in a predicament. This is one of the pastors at our church. And he's got three young kids and he needs to get back on the road but insurance isn't gonna cover. And then he just starts losing it. He's so mad about this story in the insurance. He starts cussing like crazy, like left and right. It's like he's reading like the inside of a stall inside of a public restroom, right? He's just like dropping all of these cuss words and, and he's just going off and stuff. And Micah makes his way back. And he's like, and he calms down. He says, hey, listen, we'll, we'll take care of it. And um, hey, just so you know, I won't cuss around him since he's a pastor. And I kind of looked at him and we, I was like, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. But, but, but that's how it is. That, that's how it is. So I get it. It can feel uncomfortable. But, but let me just ask, are you and I, are we really going to let our feelings prevent us from sharing words that could mean the difference in the life and eternity of our friends? Like, are we going to let a little uncomfort prevent us from sharing good news that could have a, a, a life and eternal impact on our friends? I, I truly think of that because what God has done in your life is worth sharing, even when it's uncomfortable. And you know, we see this great example in John chapter nine. The book of John was actually written by a guy named John, one of Jesus's closest, one of his best 
friends. He refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And so they had this super tight relationship. He was there. He saw a lot of these things go down and he wrote about it. And he writes about this time, Jesus meets a guy who is blind, blind since birth. And it begins like this in nine, verse one. As he, Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Okay, so just as I said, he's walking along with his followers and they, they see this guy and his disciples kind of start asking, they're inquiring like, hey, why is he blind? And so he's talking with them and, and then Jesus does something pretty strange, something a bit peculiar, verse six. He spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. So I just want to imagine from like, like, like take yourself out of the flannel graph and, and kind of think, like, let's look at this from a new perspective. I want you to imagine you're this guy. You're sitting on the side of the road. You've been blind since birth. You've never seen anything. And so you, your, your hearing is, is quite keen. So you listen a lot and you've heard about this, this rabbi creating ripples across the region, okay? With all of his teachings and miracles. And you hear that this guy is coming to town. And so you've positioned yourself so that you can be near Jesus as he comes. And, and so he shows up, you tell him you want to see. And then the next thing you hear is, and in that moment, you're like, nope, 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 nope. Hey, I'll wait for the next rabbi, like go on and pass. I don't know what's happening, but this is not hard pass. I, I am not signing up for this. But Jesus, he spits, he makes some mud. And then this guy, he's kind of listening and all of a sudden he smacks him in the face with it. He rubs it all over his eyes and this guy's just sitting there. And then verse seven, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. What? Like, like think about what just happened? It's just, it's just one sentence, it's just one verse right here in our Bible, but, but it changed this man's life forever. This is a blind man. He's blind. He meets Jesus, and now he can see. I once was blind, but now I can see. And so he's sitting, and now he can see, and, and it's for the first time, and now he's putting faces with voices, and, and he's taking all of this in, and then check out what happens next. Verse eight, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And so they see him walking around. They say, hey, isn't that the blind guy? Isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that it was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Like, I am the man. That's like middle schooler's favorite verse right there. I am the man. And then verse 10, how then were your eyes open, they asked. Yeah, and I love this moment because it speaks to like the reality of, of us and our skepticism, right? Like, like there's this miracle that goes down. This guy was blind. Now he can see and he shows up and he's walking around. And some folks are like, isn't that the guy? And they're like, nah, he just kind of looks like him. No, nah, they just got the same hoodie on. Okay, they got a similar haircut. You know, that's kind of thing. They start explaining away like, no, nah, that's, that's really not the guy. But that's what happens when Jesus shows up and changes their life. The, the folks become skeptical about it, right? Like, like, like they look at us and that's how our stories work. They're like, well, isn't that the same guy from college who used to 
Or isn't that the girl from high school that would always? Or, or like, isn't that, isn't that the guy from accounting that, you know, or, or isn't that the boss who was just, and, and that's what happens. People, they, 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 they see us, they see that something's going on, but then they immediately look to our past. And maybe, maybe we've, we've experienced that. And we say, yes, yes, that is who I used to be, but something dramatically changed. And I'll tell you why, I'll tell you who. His name is Jesus. But people look and they say, well, how? Like, how did this go down? What happened? Like, how were you changed? And, and again, it's the same with us, the look, and, and they want to know why and how have you changed? Because I remember that, and you're telling me something different. So they say, how? What happened? And this is how the guy replied. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Notice he conveniently left the whole spit part out of his story here. But, but he says, hey, this guy, Jesus, he made some mud, put it on my face. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and now I can see. Like that's his story. He says, I was blind, met Jesus, and now I can see. He's like, I, I, I don't have like any idea, like all, all the other things. I don't know how it kind of happened. I just know that it happened and it is my story. So everyone around is kind of wrapping their minds and their heads around this story around what has just happened, this miracle. And, 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 and some people are just fascinated and they're amazed and they're in awe and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But then there's a group of people who are not thrilled. This group of religious elite, see, we have to understand that at this time, there were these Pharisees who were trying to stop the Jesus movement. Okay, and they actually promised that anyone who claimed Jesus as Messiah would be excommunicated from the synagogue, which was a really big deal because that was like the heartbeat of the city. And so they dragged this man before the council and, and they're gonna question him. Listen to how it goes down. Verse 24, they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. So essentially they're saying, hey, listen, you don't lie to us. Do not, don't you dare come in here and make a mockery of this court. We want you to tell the truth of what happened. And they said, listen, we know this guy that you're saying healed you. He's a sinner is what they're calling Jesus. And then verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. I love that. I love that because this guy, he's not trying to out debate the Pharisees. He's, he's not gonna play by their rules. He's like, I'm not gonna get into all of that. I'll speak to what I know. I'll share my testimony. I'll share my story. My story, I was blind, never seen before, met Jesus, and now I can see clearly, right? And I would much rather be out seeing the world than in here with this court. I added that part, but, but that's his story, right? And he's not, he's not gonna fall into the trap and play by the game of these religious rulers. He just says, listen, here very simply, an hour ago I couldn't see, now I can. And the only thing that changed was, was Jesus. And so I love that because he kind of gives us a model, gives us kind of a template on how we share our stories. Listen, very simply, if you're a note taker, jot this down. Here, here's how we, we frame up our story. My life before Jesus. For him, I was blind. And so for you, what was your life like before Jesus? 
Like maybe you grew up knowing about Jesus, but there wasn't like really a relationship. I, I don't know. But what was your life like before Jesus? And then the next one, how I met Jesus. For him, he said, well, this Jesus, he spat in the dirt, made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes. Like that's how I met him. Maybe that's your story, probably not. But the question for you, how did you meet Jesus? Like, like what, what happened? Were, were you just Googling and you found a local church and you started going? Did a friend like invite you to an event or a Bible study? Did you hit rock bottom and you came crawling to Jesus just like, like trying to quench your thirst for hope? I, I don't know. I don't know how you met Jesus, but just, just think about that for you. Your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus. And then finally, my life since I met Jesus. Like what's changed? For this guy, he's like, I can see. I can see this is a clear change in my life. And so the question, how's your perspective changed? Like what is different in your life because of the way that God has worked and moved through it? Like what has the decision to follow Jesus done to impact the way you view your relationships or, or your time or your finances or even like pain and tragedy and life? Like what's that decision done to the way you see the world? Because again, you don't have to be some scholar to share your story. You know, I ask a lot of people if they'll share their story with me whenever I'm meet, maybe with coffee or lunch. Or, and this week I sent out a text and I asked a few people, I just wanna share a couple of these. My friends, Jessica and Watson. And, and this is kind of how they just shared very simply their story using that same format. For Jessica, she said, you know, I was raised in church and saved at age of 12. As I grew older, I thought I could handle everything life threw at me and I didn't really need Jesus or church, or, or so I felt. But once real life hit, I soon realized how wrong I was. But since really growing closer to Jesus, I've seen that through divorce, financial troubles, job losses, and everything life has brought about, I have a peace about me that only Jesus could provide. And that's Jessica's story. Like, that's her story. My life before Jesus, I met Jesus, and then this is what he's doing ever since. And then Watson, he, he said, you know, I was pretty wild and reckless. I love that. Just the honesty, the brute honesty there. It never got so bad that I got in too much trouble, but I felt like I was on a treadmill going nowhere. But some Christian friends didn't give up on me. And pretty soon it felt like Jesus shook some sense into me. I'm still trying every day and have been through some rough patches, but Jesus is the reason I can keep going. He's my source of hope and strength. You see, neither of them or scholars. Neither of them are, are like theologians with all kinds of letters after their names. No, no, no. They're just sharing their stories, their experience with Jesus saying, hey, this is all I've got. The reality is it's all you need. You see, for me, uh, similar to Jessica, I was raised in the church. I have a great family, two loving parents who helped build this foundation of faith. But then kind of in my late teens and early twenties, man, I really started living two like separate lives. And I started to struggle with that. And, and, and it was kind of through God's pursuit of me using some very uh, significant relationships that, man, he just kept reminding me he's got something more, something greater in life for me. And he continued to pursue me. And it was kind of like he, he was saying, hey, are you gonna take this serious? Like, are you gonna be all in? And, and then kind of through college, man, that became more clear, started chasing after him. And while I don't by any means always get it right, man, God continues to uh, use my obedience to draw people to him. And that's just kind of my story in a nutshell. And it's as simple as that. 
And so we're gonna encourage you to kind of like compose and write out your story. And then there'll be times where, where like the opportunity will, will present itself where you can expound on different parts of your story. But we do need to have it concise so that we're ready to share with others. But some of those details, like for me, it wasn't just any two guys. It was a guy named Mr. Ted and a guy named Andy who really devoted and poured into my life. And then it wasn't just through like random experiences or like, like oh yeah, it just happened. No, it was through very specific. Actually, there was this one night that I'll share with you. This Thursday night when I was in college, I was leaving the library around like 1.30 in the morning. I was making my way back to my apartment on the University of Georgia's campus. And my apartment was just right outside the football stadium. And so I had to walk by the stadium to get home. And as I'm walking home, I begin to hear music. Okay, now Thursday night's a big like bar night and party night in a college town, but it was rare to hear music near the stadium at this time, okay? And so I'm kind of making my way and, and I, I noticed that there's a small gathering. So I, I'm curious and I make my way over there and I, I can make out the song at this point. And it's a song that at the time was pretty popular, a song called God of the City. And I, and I find that pretty odd. It's 1.30 in the morning outside the football stadium, it's pitch black. And so I kind of walk over there and I'm just kind of like listening and stuff. And, you know, I'm singing kind of the parts I know to myself. I'm like, this is pretty wild. It's strange, but, but I'm like, you know, I, I just need to pause. I'm kind of tired, but I'm just gonna pause. And like, this is odd, but I'm just gonna pray. And so I just kind of stood there, got my backpack on. I'm kind of like humming along, just kind of praying. And, and, and the song keeps going. And, and then we're singing like this chorus. We're singing it kind of over and over. And, and, and it, it says that greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. And we're kind of singing that. And then I, I must've kind of got lost in the moment because a few minutes later, uh, which I really don't know how much time passed, but I kind of look around and, and there's not just like eight, 10, 12 kids now. No, 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 there's like, there's, there's like 150 to 200 college students gathered outside of the stadium at the University of Georgia's campus at two o'clock in the morning, singing this song, proclaiming this song. There's, there's, there's college students who are stumbling back from the bars who've stopped and now they're worshiping the name above all names. And, and we're just kind of singing this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. And, and it was kind of in that moment that God began to reveal the need for and the hope of the local church to me. That, listen, I love these people. And I've got so many greater plans. Like, are you gonna be a part of it? Are you gonna be all in with it? And I remember just kind of feeling this conviction that like, man, I, I, I've got to start taking this seriously. And so for me, it's experiences like that, that, that are unique to my story that, that God can say, hey, hey, I can use your story to draw people to me. And, and we all know the power of stories, right? Like, like here's a quick example. We're all drawn to stories. I want you to look at this picture, this drawing. And, and I want to just ask, like, what comes to mind when you see this picture, when you see this little drawing? What, what emotions kind of arise? What do you think about when you see that picture? Now, what if I told you that this picture was actually drawn by a five-year-old little girl named Heidi, who tragically had a terminal illness, and this was the last thing on earth she ever drew? Now, how do you feel? Like, like now, what sort of emotions are stirring inside of you? you? You see how this brief story about the context of this picture brings it to life? And, and our stories are like that. You know, Simpkins says that, 
that's why we don't read the resumes of people we love. We read their biographies. But because we care about their story, we wanna know like the trials and tribulations and the triumphs of their life because it's not just about a long list of accomplishments or things that you've done. It's about the story of how God is working in you and through you. And so I wanna give three applicable takeaways. Number one is this, to let God write your story. Like, like, like don't be fooled into thinking that just a few bad chapters means that you have a broken story. You don't. So let God write your story. Number two, compose your story. Literally take time to write it down. Write out your story. I love the way that Peter puts this in chapter three. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. And the way that we can be prepared is to prepare our story. So I wanna encourage you, write it down. And then finally ask God for opportunities to share your story. But, but this one's dangerous because I, I promise you, when you start to ask for opportunities, they will come. And you'll, you'll be faced with, with people sitting across from you and an opportunity to share your story. And here's the beautiful thing. I promise you, your story resonates with someone. Like if you've ever been in, in an audience and somebody is speaking and you felt like, man, that is speaking directly to me. Someone else feels the exact same way about your story. And the reality is that like, like your hope might be the very lifeboat that they need to get through a very, very hard time. And so we have this, this temptation to kind of hide the broken parts of our story and just be real with people. And this is, this is who I really was, and this is what Jesus did, and this is what he's continuing to do in my life. And then finally, don't forget what Paul said to the church in Rome. Remember this in, in, in chapter 10, he said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the beautiful truth. That's good news. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And so I wanna encourage you to replace someone that were someone with your name. How can your friends and family know the good news of Jesus unless you tell them? Unless you tell them. My life before Jesus, how I met Jesus, and my life since meeting Jesus. Because listen, church, I truly believe and that God will continue using normal, basic folks like you and me to bless others and to change the world. And he does so through the power of telling our stories. Let's pray. Father, thank you for pursuing us and for loving us. God, I thank you that in your eyes, we're all testimonies in progress. God, that we're all, um, we're all moving toward where you would have us be. And God, that in Christ, we're sons and daughters. Father, I thank you that you love us as we are, not as we ought to be, but God, would you move us and mold us to look more like Jesus? Help us to be people who courageously share the story of your work in our lives. And Father, we believe that greater things have yet to come, that greater things are still to be done because there is no one like you, God. And so we proclaim and we pray these things in Jesus' name.